Um, we've been in the book of Romans for a while, um, and uh, I know how much Pastor Todd loves to preach, and so I'm just thankful for when he uh, gives me the opportunity to preach. And as we were talking through this this week, um, I told him I was preaching 12 verses, and he was a bit shocked because he's, he's, he usually goes a little bit slower than that. that that's okay. That's okay. Um, <laughs> We've been in, in the book of Romans for a while, it seems like since the very beginning. Um, Calm down. Uh, the, I mean, the, be- <laughs> the beginning of when I got here a year ago, okay? Not, not that. Uh, no, but it's, it's been very good, and I've enjoyed it, and I, I feel privileged that he allows me to jump into the middle of his series and, and preach uh, from God's Word. And we did talk about how the sermon, uh, the passage for next week kind of continues this week, so he can go back and correct anything uh, I might say. So, uh, Romans chapter 14 today. Romans chapter 14. We will be looking at verses 1 through 12. And what I'd like to do is just read through the passage here first and then open in a word of prayer. Romans chapter 14. We begin with verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith... Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live in the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word so that we can know who you are, so that we can know your heart. Lord, and also so that we can know that who we are in you. So as we look into your word now, Lord, just give me a clarity of thought and clarity of speech, Lord, and open our hearts to hear your word so that we can bring it into our lives. We thank you for this. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So we have in our household uh, a a kid's devotional book called Sticky Situations, um, and it's it's aimed toward kids four to eight years old. And the gist behind it is each daily devotion, it'll give you, it'll give the kid a story, some sort of story going on. And it'll then give them options as to what that story should look like. So let me just read one to you quick. Uh, 
After a tough week at school, Nate is looking forward to the weekend. He comes home, drops his books on the table, and lets out a long sigh. Oh, the joy of doing absolutely nothing, he thinks. Sleeping in, watching some serious TV, maybe trying out one of his new computer games. After dinner that night, Nate's dad says he really needs Nate's help with the yard work on Saturday. Dad is going out of town for, the, for a week and really wants to get the yard cleaned up before he goes. Nate knows what this means. Raking, pulling weeds, mowing the grass, Nate moans inside. This is not exactly what he had in mind for the weekend. What should he do? And then it gives him several, the child several options. Should Nate jump out of bed Saturday morning, get dressed, and ask what he can do to help? Or should he stay in bed and try to sleep until noon to avoid most of the work? Or should he develop a sudden limp and explain he hurt his leg and can't and <laughs> in gym class? Or should he get, get up really early and cut the grass with his fingernail clippers one blade at a time to surprise his dad? Or should he pay the boy down the street to do the chores? And then it also gives a Bible verse that they can look to for help on which decision they think that he should make. And as we come to this passage in Romans chapter 14, I'm reminded of this devotional. It, it kind of, to me, it kind of, they kind of go together. In Romans, after 13 chapters of the gospel and theology and doctrine and the general instruction that Paul has addressed to the church in Rome, Paul specifically points to a sticky situation in the church and shows how decisions should be made in light of the gospel, in light of the gospel that we believe. All right, so let's look at this situation that we find here. And if you're like me and you're first reading through this passage, as we read through this passage, it'd be like, okay, okay, what's going on here? Some, some things seem pretty confusing. First, verses 1 through 3 we find the problem that was taking place in the church, and it was this. There was one group in the church that was looking down on, on or despising another group because they refused to eat meat. All right, so you have this group over here that's looking down and despising this group over here because they refused to eat meat. And then you have this other group over here who was casting judgment upon those who were willing to eat almost anything. So what is this? Uh, uh, verse 1 says, As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So what's, what's going on here? Well, first, let me tell you what's not going on here. All right, so kids, when you go home today uh, and you sit down at the table and mom serves you vegetables, all right, don't turn to Romans chapter 14, verses 2 and 3 and say, don't judge me, but I just want to eat ice cream for lunch. All right, so, so I'll eat my ice cream and I won't despise you for eating your vegetables. All right, that's not as much as what, as much as some of us would like that to be what these verses say, um, that's not what these verses are talking about. All right, so let's first look at this uh, first phrase Paul has here. As for the one who is weak in the faith, what, what, what does that mean? What does Paul mean by that? And so let me help draw a picture in your mind, if I can, of the situation that's going on. All right, so imagine if you can, and I'd say, 
you know, close your eyes and imagine, but uh, I was recently informed that somebody in the church takes this time for, during the service to take a nap. So don't close your eyes right now, but imagine if you can, all right, that you're a first century Jew, all right? You're a first century Jew, you're growing up living in Rome, you believe in the God of the Bible, you have grown up knowing the, the, and following the laws that God gave his people in the Old Testament, specifically in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, where God prescribed to you how to be clean before the Lord and what would make, up unclean, what, what would make you unclean and disqualify you from worship. There were wa- laws for washing, okay, washing your hands, washing your body, washing your dishes. There were laws for working, you know, when you could work, when you can't work how you can work. There were laws about what you could eat and what you couldn't eat. Laws for resting and so forth and so on. And as a devout Jew, you tried your best to follow these laws and be faithful to God while you waited for the promised Messiah to come uh, and, and save your people. And so you're a first century Jew there living in Rome and along comes a Christian who shares with you that the Messiah has come. And his name is Jesus, and he died and rose again that your sins could be forgiven. And this is great news. And so you receive him in faith and become a Christian and begin to gather with other Christians from all different cultures and backgrounds to learn more about the Savior and worship him together. All right, so so can you picture that in your head? Or imagine this. Imagine you're a Roman Gentile who grew up in the pagan cult of worshiping the Roman gods. And so you would regularly go to the, Rome, the, the temples there in Rome and celebrate the holidays and, and worship the gods there. And a lot of the, the food that you would eat would, would have been offered to those gods as sacrifices, and then you would eat it. All right. And so you grew up in this life dedicated to these pagan gods, and you spent much of your life trying to earn their favor and hoping that, just hoping that they will take pity on you and give you good fortune. Now along comes a Christian and shares with you that the one God from heaven loved you so much that he sent his son to die for your sins and take your punishment. And that if you repent of your sins and turn to him, he will forgive you and you will be adopted into his family. And so you place your faith in God and become a Christian and you begin to gather with other Christians from all different kinds of backgrounds to worship your new Lord and Savior. Now with that picture in our mind, When we come to this passage, when Paul is talking about those with weak faith, faith is being looked at here from a specific angle of what a believer thinks his faith allows him to do. So when Paul speaks of those weak in the faith, he is referring to some who are either Jewish Christians in the church or that that, um, had not come to the conviction yet because of that pool of the life of Judaism. Remember that old life. That, in Christ, that Christian faith would not allow them to eat meat, drink wine, and ignore the Jewish holidays. Or even some Gentiles who, seeing, um, remembering what they came out of, all right, um, that, that sacrificing of the meat to, to the, the idols, and not saying, hey, you know what, I, I came out of that. I'm not sure I can eat this meat. Did you ever grow up uh, doing something one way and finding out later that you were either doing it wrong or or there was an easier or even a different way of doing it? 
Uh, let me give you just a few silly examples, but I think it'll help you understand, again, where, where, what the situation is going on here. So growing up in the household that I came in, my parents are here today, so I, t- I, I told them I wouldn't use them as an illustration, so I won't. But growing up in the household that I grew up in, um, we always put the ketchup in the cupboard. Right? That's where we stored the ketchup. We stored the ketchup in the cupboard. So when we wanted ketchup for a hot dog or whatever, we'd go to the cupboard, get it out of the cupboard, put it on a hot dog. Well, when I met my wife and went and visited her family, they kept the ketchup in the refrigerator. Okay? So, so when we got married, um, you know, you have those little things you never thought would actually come to light or come, you know, be, be an issue. But, you know, I was used to having the ketchup from the cupboard. You know, and she was used to the ketchup from the refrigerator. And, you know, it, it was different because if the ketchup's cold, then it's why would you put cold ketchup on a warm hot dog and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And so, but as mature, as a mature couple, uh, we came to a compromise and we keep the ketchup in the fridge. Um, so, but it, it just takes something to get used to. And so I still, we would go to the cupboard for the, looking for the ketchup. All right. <laughs> Uh, another one was in our house, my household growing up, we used to always unplug the toaster. Um, I don't know why. It was just that's how we were trained. All right. The toaster was there on the counter. When you're done using it, you unplug it. All right. My wife's family, you don't really unplug the toaster. We get married. All of a sudden, it's like, wait, why is the toaster unplugged? Well, that's what you do with the toaster. Well, the coffee pot's not unplugged. Why, why is the coffee pot not unplugged? I don't know. It's not a toaster. Yeah. <laughs> So, so again, we compromised and ended up um, actually now in the house we live in in Jonestown. Um, not only do we unplug the toaster, but we put it in the cupboard. All right, because I wasn't going to let her put it in the fridge. So, um, but you get these things that are just like hard to unlearn. Um, and one last one, just for sake of the house I grew up in. Again, uh, I grew up there 18 years. Uh, and my mom never moved the silverware. So I always knew the silverware were in the drawer by the oven, all right? And so for 18 years, three times a day, you know, you go to that drawer to get your silverware, right? Well, when we moved back here and we're looking for a house, um, my brother, who now owns my parents' house, my brother and sister-in-law, graciously allowed us to live with them for eight months while we looked for a house, which was very gracious of them. But my sister-in-law put her silverware in the drawer next to the dishwasher, and so for about eight months, this was the hardest one I've ever had. For about eight months, every time I'd go for silverware, I'd go straight to the drawer next to the oven. All right. And it's like that it was just built. It was built into me, even though, you know, after day one, I was told, hey, the silverware over here next to the dishwasher, which actually made sense. But I would still go continuously to that same drawer looking for the silverware. Now, multiply that a thousand times and we might get to understand a little bit of what it's like for the Jewish person who had grown up with following the laws that God prescribed in the Old Testament and and when it comes to those choices of hey what can I eat meat what can I eat I don't know if I can do that as a Christian you know can you can we kind of understand where they're coming from or the pagan who is saying hey I, I remember growing up and all this meat that we're buying at the marketplace, I know that was, that was sacrificed, that was dedicated to these idols. I don't know that I can eat that. 
And so that's the situation that we find these Christians dealing with. And Paul is speaking about those weak in the faith. He is probably referring to these Christian Jews and Gentiles in the church who are not convinced that their faith in Christ gives them the liberty to engage in certain <clears throat> excuse me, certain kinds of behavior. All right, and so there's this you have these two sides. You have these weak in the faith who think you know, I, I, I can't eat meat. I, I choose not to eat meat because I can't, I can't rightly do that. And then you got this group over here who is, Paul will later in chapter 15 identify them as stronger in the faith, where they just feel like their conviction is, hey, I'm, I'm okay in honoring God. I can eat anything. All right? I can, I can eat meat. It doesn't make a difference. Uh, the problem here comes with how the two groups treat each other because of these opinions, these preferences. And when we're talking about these opinions, these preferences, when, when Paul in verse 1 says, um, not, don't quarrel over opinions, we're talking about the things that God has not really discussed, right? We have in our Bible, as we turn in our Bible, we look in our Bible and we find God says, don't do these things, right? We have those laws. We have um, God saying, do this stuff, all right? But there are things like this discussion that they're having about Hey, can we eat meat offered to idols? You know, what do we do um, that God doesn't talk about? And so the problem here is how the two groups are treating each other. And in verse 1, Paul tells them to welcome the one who is weak in the faith. And I like the, the kind of caveat that Paul puts on it at the end of the verse. My translation, I'm reading out of the ESV, it says, but not to quarrel over opinions. And I think in the... New American Standard Bible says, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. All right, this kind of reminds me of the, the group of bullies that'll, that'll invite the geek into their group just so they could pick on him. All right, Paul's saying, don't do that. Okay, don't welcome them just to pick on them. All right, genuinely welcome them. Verse 2 says, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Paul doesn't address their area of contention at the moment, but instead he addresses their attitude toward each other. And Paul says, hey, you guys are wrong, and you guys are wrong. All right? He says, let no one who eats despise the one to who abstains. So he first talks to the group that the, considers themselves the strong in the faith that are that are willing to eat anything. He says, don't despise the one who abstains. The word despise here has the idea of rejecting with contempt. Uh, the, again, the New American Standard Bible says, regarding with contempt. This reminds me of a two-year-old, maybe our two-year-old sometimes, occasionally, when she's served something that she doesn't want to eat. Um, she kind of rejects it with contempt, right? So if, it's, if it's food, she'll kind of push it across the table. If it's some sort of liquid food like applesauce and she doesn't want to eat it, she'll usually just take it and paint with it on the table. All right, but she rejects it with contempt. And that's the word that Paul is using here. He's saying, hey, don't reject these people with contempt. This same word is used in Luke 23 when Jesus is sent from Pilate to be tried before Herod. So when Jesus is in his trial um, the day before he was crucified, um, in, in Luke 23, verse 8, it says, When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. 
for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. And he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So questioning him at some length, so he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. Jesus made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers, and here's that word, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothes, he sent him back to Pilate. So this is Paul here in Romans 14 is challenging the attitude of the strong and saying, stop despising your brothers. He then turns to the weak in the faith and says, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Okay, so Paul turns to the other group, charges them, and says, Do not pass judgment on those who eat. The word translated judgment here has the idea of condemning or pronouncing guilty, saying you are wrong for doing what you are doing. And Paul's challenging, challenge is how can you pass judgment on someone that God has welcomed? Paul's theological bottom line here is how can you reject from your fellowship someone that God has accepted? Remember, the first 13 chapters of of theology and doctrine, you know, is all coming into play here. God has accepted those who are guilty, who have repented of their sin, who because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And now who are you as a Christian to reject someone that God has accepted? The problem that Paul is addressing and hitting on the head here is that Christians are failing to stop passing judgment and stop looking down on fellow Christians when it comes to Christian opinions. There was a spirit of rejection instead of acceptance inside the Roman church. The unity of the church was threatened, so Paul called out these attitudes, one of contempt and one of condemnation in the church and applies the gospel to them. He gives us two reasons why these attitudes should be rejected. One, because of your master, and two, because of your judge. So first of all, let's look at because of your master in verses 4 through 9. Verse 4 says this, he says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Paul had made it clear in his letter that the believer in Christ has been set free from his former master, sin, and now has a new master, Jesus Christ. If we were to look back at Romans chapter 6, verse 20 would say, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the, the things of which are now, you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And so now Paul brings this this theology into play here and says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? As servants of Jesus, he is the one who approves us, and that takes place when he justified us through faith in his blood. What Paul is saying is, whatever a Christian's strength or weaknesses in behaviors or views, he or she is completely loved and accepted by the Father through Christ. That's what the book of Romans teaches us. Who, then, are you, Roman Christian, Roman um, weaker brother, to reject 
the one that God has accepted. Who are you to judge guilty those who God has judged righteous? Jesus is the master, and that's who we will answer to. Our first responsibility is to the Lord. Um, Warren Wearsby writes this. He says, if Christians would go to the Lord in prayer, instead of going to their brother in crit- with criticism, there would be stronger fellowship in our churches. If you remember the, the story of, of Peter, um, after he betrayed uh, or denied Christ, after he, in the garden, he ran away, you know, and he denied Christ, and he had claimed to be Jesus' like, closest follower. He claimed, I, I will go to you with you to the death. All right? And then for him to turn and deny Christ must have been devastating for him. And so after Jesus' resurrection and they're gathering back to, together again, Jesus reaffirms him and says, Hey, you know, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. Um, and, and in that conversation, as Jesus reaffirms him, Peter realizes that, and, and Jesus in that conversation tells Peter, you know, you will honor, you will glorify God in your death in having a similar death as I did. Um, and Peter sees John there standing by and he says, well, well what about him? You know, what, what about him? What's, what's going to happen to him? Uh, and Jesus said to him this, he said, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Our first responsibility is to follow him. Our, our responsibility is pleasing our master, not worrying about others' opinions, convictions, or what they're doing. <clears throat> not only does Paul instruct them not to have an attitude of criticism or contempt towards their Christian brothers because of their master, because of their master, but also because their convictions and opinions that were being despised and judged were being done to please that very master. Look at verses 5 and 6. Paul says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Their actions, whether eating or not eating, observing certain days or not, um, somewhere it, um, it was known that in, in Roman society, a lot of the Romans kind of despised and looked down on Jews because of their Sabbath day, because they would take one day out of the week not to work. They thought they were kind of lazy. All right, because they would always take that Sabbath day off. And so they were, they would, there was this tendency in the Roman society to look down on Jews because of that. And so Paul here even talk, brings that into play and says, hey, some people you know, observe, still observe days. Um, don't despise them for that. Don't look down upon them for that. But he says, what is, import, what is important is that every believer behaves with integrity. Each one should be convinced in his own mind and should do whatever he or she decides to do in honor of the Lord and in accordance with his will. He says this this person over here, when he decides to eat only vegetables because his conscience won't allow him to eat meat, he is doing that in order to serve the Lord. He is eating that and thanking God for that. He is serving his master. When this person over here is eating his, his meat, uh, with a clear conscience, 
and he's thanking God for it, he is looking to honor the Lord. He is honoring God in what he's doing. And so Paul is, instead of, of focusing on those, those, the differences they have, he's trying to pull them together with the similarities. We're, we're both trying to honor God with the decisions that we make. All right, and Each of us is going to be convinced in our own mind what the right thing is to do, and I'm going to do that before God and serve him without judging my brother over here that does it differently or without shunning or despising my brother over here who does it differently. Paul continues in verse 7, he says, For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So as servants to a new and gracious and merciful master, everything we do in service to him is in service to him. Paul reaffirms this in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9. He says this, he says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Again, Paul mixes in a gospel reminder in here that, and that is why Christ died and came back to life so that he could be Lord of all, master of all. He is our master and our only master. He is the master and we are not. And Paul says, it's not your job to place judgment on another. Don't despise the personal opinions of servants who are not yours. God has accepted and approved them, so welcome into your fellowship your fellows, welcome in your fellow servants and brothers and sisters into Christ and in your community. Not only does Paul give us that we have the same master, because of our master, uh, we are not to judge, we are not to despise our brother, but also because of the judge. We see in verses 10 through 12, we see this. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So that each one of us will give an account of himself to God. The Apostle Paul returns to directly addressing the two groups, first the weak in the faith and then the strong, the former the weak are prone to judging, the latter depreciate or even scorn, but both attitudes are virtually the same thing. They both involve improper judgment. The only true judge is God, and his time for judgment is coming, making huge human judgment not only premature, but also taking God's role. Imagine being in a courtroom. Um, you know, the only judge I can think of is Judge Judy. So I'll use Judge Judy as an example. Um, you're in Judge Judy's courtroom, and, you know, she's, she's hearing the case. And so she hears both sides, and she pronounces a verdict, and she pronounces innocent. And then all of a sudden you hear somebody in the crowd yell, they're guilty. All right? And then another group comes in, and she, she takes both sides, and she says innocent. And somebody from the crowd yells, you're guilty. You know, what, what do you think is going to happen to that person that's yelling in the crowd? They're probably going to get kicked out of the courtroom, right? Especially by Judge Judy. She, don't, she wouldn't stand for any of that. Um, but that is, in a sense, a picture of what, we're, what the Christians here in Rome were doing 
when they're trying to take God's place and judge on his behalf. God is the judge, and Paul reminds us that we will all stand before him and give an account of what we've done. Again, like the servant looking to please the master, Paul wants us to focus on our own judgment day and our account that we will give before the true judge. Again, the best way to, to um, reject the attitudes of criticism or judgment is to reflect inward on our own responsibility to our own master and to our own judge. Paul's application of the gospel and the doctrine to the Roman church's situation is to charge them to abandon the attitudes of contempt and condemnation and instead welcome each other as together they seek to please their master and prepare to face the true judgment. So how do we bring this all to a close? Um, I, I read an article this week uh, because, because the title caught my eye. It was called this. The title was called, What the Doctrine of Justification Means for Facebook Fights Among Church Members by Jonathan Lehman. Okay? And so that, that kind of caught my eye. I'm like, okay. All right. And, and in, the, in the short article, he addressed the issues going on and how the doctrine of justification, faith alone, applies to some simple things, including social media arguments among uh, church members. So it's a good article. I'll let you look that up on your own. But what I want to share is the first sentence that he puts in his article is this. He says, biblical doctrine isn't just true, it's practical. And I think that's what Paul has given us here, an excellent example in Romans chapter 14 of how that works. He takes the gospel, the theology, the doctrine, and the general Christian instruction from the first 13 chapters and applies it to the sticky situation at hand in the Roman church. I think if I would summarize Romans 14, 1 through 12, I would summarize it this way. Don't play God in judgment. Act like God in mercy. Don't play God in judgment. Act like God in mercy. You know, our society um, is quick to judge people. I don't know if you noticed that, but they're quick to judge people, all right? They will take something that a, uh, an athlete has said 10 years ago when they were a teenager, you know, and they put it on social media, and if it's something that society doesn't like, they will, they will uh, what's called, cancel them. They will just rip them to shreds, all right? That is the, the mindset of our age, and and the church ought not to adapt that. And yet God's people throughout history has always struggled not to adapt to the culture, to the, the mindset of the culture around them. If you think of Old Testament Israel, they were, they were set in uh, Palestine, which was basically, it was the crossroads of everything. Um, God put them there to be a light to the world, to let the world know who the true God was and what it was like serving him, right? They were there, and if anybody wanted to travel to, to Babylon, they'd have to go through there. If Babylon wanted to come to Egypt, they'd have to go through there. If, if Rome or Greece wanted to, to travel south, they'd have, it was the intersection of the world, and God set them there to be a light. And he said, you guys are a light. You are to show the world what it's like to live as, as I created you to live. 
And yet constantly, Israel had the problem of, of pulling in the gods around them to, to, to steal from the societies around them and, and, and adapt to their culture, adapt to their beliefs, adapt to, and adapt to their gods. And I, and I think that God's people have continued to struggle through, with that. Even here, 2,000 years after Christ, it's easy for us to try to adapt to the culture and say, hey, there's this culture of judgment out there that if you don't like something, you got to rip that person to shreds, all right, so they know how you feel. All right, the church has to reject that. And that's what Paul is calling us to do. When we are, when it comes to matters of conscience, 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 that's what it is, okay? When it comes to matters of opinion, when God hasn't said, hey, this is wrong or, or this is right, um, we as believers need to reject the attitude of contempt or condemnation all right, and be a light to the world of what it's truly like to gather together as God has brought us from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different nations brought together to build his church and be a light to the world. And so... Again, don't play God in judgment. Act like God in mercy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.